Welcome to MCC from the Capitol, a podcast produced by the Missouri Catholic Conference. We invite you to listen along as our host and executive director, Tyler McClay, chats with experts about public policy issues from a Catholic perspective. We hope you enjoyed this episode of MCC from the Capitol. Welcome to the Missouri Catholic Conference from the Capitol podcast, where we take a deeper look at the social and political issues facing Missouri and the Catholic Church and how those issues impact public policy. My name is Tyler McClay, and I'm the executive director of the Missouri Catholic Conference, and I'm here today with Rita Linhart and Jamie Morris, MCC staffers, for our second legislative roundtable podcast. Hello, Rita and Jamie. Hello. Well, it's spring break in the Missouri legislature, so let's talk about what has happened so far and what we expect in the coming weeks. Sound good? Yep. And just so our listeners know, the legislative session starts back up next Monday and then runs through May 14th. So the next eight weeks are going to be pretty crazy. There have been 2,241 bills filed between the House and the Senate. And right now, only one bill has been truly agreed and finally passed at this point and signed by the governor. That was House Bill 16, a supplemental budget bill that includes, I think, over $300 million in federal dollars for rental assistance for people affected by COVID-19. And speaking of federal dollars, uh, last week, the U.S. Congress passed the American Rescue Plan Act, a $1.9 trillion rescue plan, which includes a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to be breaking that bill down in our next good news, which will go out in the mail in the coming weeks. So look for that. The bill includes additional funding for housing relief, along with other things, including stimulus checks, some of which I guess some of our ministers may have received stimulus checks. Let's talk about the budget first. The House and Senate budget committees are in the process of, of looking at the state budget and you know, at the beginning of COVID, I think everyone was saying, we're going to have a big budget problem, right? Right. But it doesn't seem like that's really panning out, especially with all this federal assistance that we've been getting. The budget process is still in the works. And the governor put out a proposed budget back in January, and the, the two bodies are still working through that. But not a lot has been said about the budget so far. No, it's been very quiet. I think they're kind of working behind the scenes trying to come up with a plan because they, like you say, they've got all these additional federal dollars and they have to figure out a plan what to do with it. Well, and I think everyone was waiting for that to happen. And now that it's happened, I think after spring break, we're going to see a lot of talk about the budget. And one of the things we're looking at is Medicaid expansion and whether that's going to go forward or not. There was a bill in the House that would have actually put on the ballot Medicaid expansion again. And what it was trying to do is impose work requirements on Medicaid uh, recipients. And it would also make Medicaid subject to appropriation, meaning that the House and Senate could decide yes or no whether they were going to fund Medicaid at certain levels. But that bill has not gotten a hearing and it doesn't look like it's getting traction at this point. So I don't know, Rita, what do you think? I, I think they kind of put it out there to maybe send a message or to get a response from people and, you know, like flying a kite, so to speak. And if it, nobody bites on it, I guess it'll come down. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, up in the air yet. No, I, I agree. And I, I think I think there's just a lot of difficulty in trying to, you know, put something through the year after, you know, it, it Medicaid expansion has passed. I, I think that'd be a difficult process to try to get through right now. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and Medicaid expansion didn't pass by a huge margin. So, you know, there's still a lot of people that didn't like the idea. And I know there's a lot of representatives from districts that probably didn't vote for it. And so we'll just have to see. I mean, what they did do in the budget process is they broke out Medicaid as a whole, the funding for Medicaid as a whole into a separate bill. And our thinking is, and they did this on the House side, our thinking is they want to put that to a vote and allow people to take a vote on Medicaid as a whole and then see what happens with it. Uh, My guess is maybe they'll let it get voted down. And then when it goes to the Senate, the Senate would put it back into the budget. And then Mm -hmm. through the reconciliation process, they'd work that out. But really, it's still too early to tell what's going to happen. Yeah, they're holding their cards pretty close to their vest on what which way they're going to go with it. Yeah, so we'll have to be keeping an eye on that. That's probably one of the biggest things we're watching right now. And because there's been so little talk about it, over the years, you know, there's been talk about trying to reform Medicaid to do things like require all Medicaid recipients to go through managed care kind of coverage. And there's a whole litany of arguments about that. But um Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I don't think anybody really knows at this point what's going to happen with that. But one interesting thing that happened last week, and this is not one of the MCC priorities, but that is uh, the gas tax that passed in the Senate. And, And I mention this only because it's going to impact, I think, some of the other bills that are now sitting in the Senate that came over from the House that we are working on. And I'll just describe it. The Senate passed a bill that would increase the gas tax in Missouri from 17 cents a gallon to 29 cents a gallon. So 12, I guess 12 cents, 12 and a half cents over the course of four years, I think. So it goes up three cents a year or something like that. And so that passed the Senate. And the other thing that that it does is it it allows people that that object to the increase to to get a rebate. So if you collect your your gas payments, you know, you're, you go to the pump and you fill up and you keep your receipts. Then at the end of the year, I, I'm assuming you'd be able to then get a rebate through your tax return. And so that makes it a little easier for people to swallow maybe. But, you know, the House is kind of saying that they aren't going to take it up or they don't have the votes to pass it. And so that puts some of these House bills that we want to talk about in jeopardy. And the first one is the adoption and foster care tax credit bills. Jamie, you want to talk about that? Yeah, these are bills uh, that were sponsored by uh, Representative Hannah Kelly. Uh, They were, you know, we came into the session knowing that these were a priority for the Speaker of the House. And so they were some of the first bills passed in the House. One of the adoption tax credits would expand our already existing tax credit program that has typically been used for special needs adoption, and this would expand it to all adoptions in the state of Missouri. Um, and then the other bill uh, would establish a foster care um, tax deduction for those that foster, I believe, six months out of the year. And then if anyone in a family's foster fewer months, then I think it's pro, there's a pro rata sort of uh, calculation that goes on. So those two bills are in the Senate. They have gone through Senate committee. And now we're waiting for them to hit the Senate floor. And, and as you say, Tyler, you know, they, this may be part of the negotiations and kind of how politics works is, you know, they may be impacted if the House is not moving on some of the Senate's priorities and vice versa. 
And, and so these two bills were the priority of the House Speaker Rob Vescovo, who himself was adopted yes, yep. as as a as a young young child, and and so these are his priorities for the year. So if he wants to get his priorities, then he's going to have to do some horse trading on the gas tax bill, maybe. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, the adoption tax credit, it's like a $10,000 one-time tax credit, right? Jimmy? Yes. And I think it would apply to you know non-recurring expenses for adoption. And so if you adopt a child, whether that child is special needs or not, you would be entitled to a $10,000 tax credit. So I guess your legal fees and things that you pay to adopt, yes, could yeah. be, uh, you could get a tax credit for that. And then the foster care tax deduction, I think it's $2,500 a year or something like that. I believe so. That's a, yeah. I yeah. That's I think around. it's, so it's a tax deduction, which is a little different, um, a different kind of a thing, but uh, certainly an incentive, try to be given incentive to folks to be foster parents, which is a good thing. So, those are kind of the, pro, that's the really the, the pro-life bill for this year, we think. Um, I think so. There yeah. hasn't been as much movement on your more traditional uh, pro-life legislation that would regulate abortion per se. And, but I, I believe this type of legislation, you know, trying to make it uh, easier uh, to, to adopt and to foster, I think this will probably be the, the pro-life legislation this session. I, I would agree with that. And with regard to criminal justice reform, you know, Rita, we were talking earlier about, you know, a couple of years ago, Missouri raised the age for jurisdiction for juveniles so that used to be that you were a juvenile until you were 17, then you became an adult for criminal justice purposes. But we changed that a couple of years ago to make it 18. Right. In 2018, we raised the age from 17 to 18 for juvenile certification. One of the problems with that was that not all the counties were implementing it because they, they said they didn't have the funding to implement it. And they were worried that, you know, their their juvenile justice courts would be underfunded. And so what's happening this year with that? Well, when the law was passed, there was some conflicting language in the bill that set up, you know, when it was going into effect and who was going to pay for the services. So when it, the law was supposed to be implemented in 2021, so when January 1st came, some counties, like you said, implemented it and some didn't. And so uh, the question was mainly where is funding for the service is going to come from. So David Evans has a bill, House Bill 1442, that makes it, it takes a, the fund that was set up in the original bill in the state treasury department, he takes it out of there and puts it into counties. And so it, it would be much easier to get. And also he's seeking to make have a line item budget, for, you know, a budget item for it. So to increase funding for it. But it takes a lot of money to provide services for these kids. And so I can see where the counties might be hesitant about it. And, and there is also a court case that's going up, it's making its way up. It's mostly big. It's supposed to be to the Supreme Court sometime in March or April. That, that may also decide the matter. So hopefully we can get that worked out because that's that's a really important bill that, that mm -hmm. we worked on some years ago to, to raise the age for these kids that get in trouble. And and as I recall, Rita, it it doesn't apply to the more serious crimes. Right. Is that right? So right. we're not talking about, you know, kids that are committing first degree murder or something like that. We're talking about kids that are caught up in the juvenile system. And right. In Missouri, you can still certify an, a child as young as the age 12 as an adult. Wow. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, at 12 years old to be certified as an adult, that's pretty, pretty rough. Young. Yeah, that's pretty rough. And, and there is some attempts to move that from 12 to 14. So that's another bill we're working on. But that this criminal justice stuff never seems to end, but there's always more work to be done in that area. Another bill we're working on has to do with the prior offenders being able to get jobs in, in convenience stores and liquor stores, that kind of thing. Tell us about that, Rita. Right. This is a bill by Sherry Rice Tolson, and it, it would allow ex-offenders to be able to get jobs in places that sell lottery tickets and liquor. And this would open up a whole range of opportunities. I mean, grocery stores, convenience stores, restaurants, and it, it, it's just a way to get their foothold in the you know, in, into work and give them something to build up a work ethic from and like that. But the bill this year has not gone as far as it has last year. Last year, it made it all the way over to the Senate and then COVID shut everything down. So the bill this year is kind of stuck on the informal calendar in the House. And she wanted to keep it a single bill when not mixed with other bills, but she might have to, uh, you know, relent if it gets stuck there too long. So. Yeah, and that's an important bill, too, because right now, if you have a prior felony conviction and you get out of jail after serving your time, you can't work at a place that sells liquor or lottery tickets, right? right. So that means convenience stores, grocery stores, I mean, you're basically shut out of those kind of jobs. And often those are entry-level jobs for folks that have a felony conviction. So this will be a way to get them back in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we kind of hope we've been working on that bill for, right. for a couple of years. Another bill that we're working on that's gotten a lot of attention this year is the, um, the House Bill 349, which has to do with educational scholarships. And this is a bill sponsored by uh, Phil Cristofanelli from St. Louis, and it would basically create a tax credit for people that make donations to education foundations. And these foundations are, offer scholarships to students to be able to attend private schools and so they, you know, you make a donation to the foundation, and then you get a tax credit for the donation, and then that foundation then can give these scholarships away. So it's a way of incentivizing private money to get put into these scholarship programs. And there's certain limitations on it. I think the kids have to be in public school, so it's not going to benefit kids that are currently in private school, but it will benefit kids in public school that are from low-income families or that have that have special needs like an IEP. So they have to have a learning disability or something. But these are kids that often struggle in school. And, and so um, this is a way of giving them an out if they are just not, if the school they're in is not working for them, they could find a way to get to another school. So that bill uh, passed the house uh, by a minimum number of 82 votes. They had to have 82 votes to actually pass it to have a constitutional majority and it got that, but that's it. So there's no room for, you know, losing one person on that. The bill has now gone over to the Senate. It's in the Senate Education Committee and is waiting to have a hearing there. But again, this is another pet project of the Speaker of the House. And if he doesn't work with the Senate on the gas tax or some other things, he may find himself shut out of that one. There's also more talk on the Senate side about other school choice measures that they're working on, including expanding charter schools and, and some other things that may make that bill harder to pass if it goes back to, to the House with any changes. So we're kind of keeping an eye on that bill to see where that ends up. Other bills that are, that are moving that are part of our agenda, one has to do with 
internet filters for adult content. And, and that's a bill that would require, it's kind of a new bill for us that, to be working on. But uh, in the last couple of years, we've been more concerned about the public health consequences of pornography and, and adult content on the internet and how that's impacting children. And this year we got a position of support on this bill, which would require internet service providers. So think of your CenturyLink or your Mediacom or your company that provides your internet service. They would be required to put a filter in place so that if, uh, if an end user tries to access adult content, they'd have to enter into a, they'd have to enter a, a code or a password so that children couldn't accidentally access these sites. And there was some pretty compelling testimony in that hearing. They were talking about young children now uh, engaging in what it would be adult acts with other children, and they're doing it because they're seeing it online. And so this is the real danger of this kind of stuff. Really pretty compelling testimony that came out at that hearing. And so that bill um, has passed out of the Senate committee that heard it, and it's waiting to be put on the Senate calendar. My guess is there's going to be a number of paid lobbyists who don't like that bill that work for the internet service providers. So we'll see where that goes. But it's certainly it's certainly a bill that needs to be discussed, and it's an issue that needs to be discussed because not only do we have this issue in our homes, but we all carry around internet enabled phones. And that's another place where these kids can get access to this stuff. That's pretty troubling. So that's a bill that we're working on. Another bill we're working on on the religious liberty front has to do with guns and church. I think we talked about this in our last podcast, but this bill has gotten a hearing and is making its way through the house. It's currently been voted out of committee and is waiting to make its way onto the House calendar for debate on the floor and just have to see if there's an appetite for that bill this year in the House. I, I always always wonder if, if this is a bill that is to take serious or if it's just a sort of a political messaging bill because guns is a, you know, gun freedom and having the ability to uh, exercise your Second Amendment rights is a big is a big thing in Missouri. But our concern with this is that concealed carry permit owners can carry their gun into church if they get the permission of the pastor right now. And, and if they have that permission, then there's no issue. And they want to remove that language so that you know people would be able to carry unless there was a sign on the front door saying, don't bring a gun in here. But we just don't like that because it, we don't want to be putting signs in our sacred spaces. And so that's that's our objection to that. But it seems like we can't get attention on that for some reason. People people like their guns and they want to bring them everywhere. So we'll see where that ends up. It was interesting in the House that they actually passed a bill that would allow people to carry concealed on buses and, and trains. Not Amtrak, mind you, but like local regional buses. And that bill actually passed out of the House and is on its way to the Senate. So We'll see where that ends up. The arguments were that, well, criminals carry guns on buses, so why shouldn't people be able to protect themselves? And I and I get that. That's a fair argument. There have been some shootings in the in the metro 
areas of Missouri, and I know specifically in St. Louis on the train there, the Metrolink, there's been some shootings and some people have been killed. So, you, you know, it's hard to argue against allowing them to arm themselves when there's no police presence there. But uh, it's, it's troubling. We have so much gun violence in the state that, uh, that we're having to deal with this issue. Those are the bills that we've been working on that, that have sort of gotten traction so far this session. Uh, we still have eight weeks to go. There's a lot more to come. And there's other bills we've been going to hearings on. And it's been an interesting session um, in the sense that because of COVID, you know, we've been going over to the Capitol, but not as much as we normally would. We've been submitting a lot of written testimony and, uh, you know, that they've been accepting written testimony, which they haven't done in the past. So we've been doing that on quite a bit of, of legislation. But we wanted to kind of cover the legislation that's actually moving right now and ones that we think are going to be the ones to kind of watch as we go forward. But there's a lot more to come, and we hope you will continue listening in as we work through the legislative process and and get towards the end of this session. It looks like the things are opening up with regard to the economy. I know Rita and I both were able to get our vaccinations, and uh, it looks like they're going to be opening up April 9th, they're going to open up vaccines for everybody. Uh, One of these days I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, One of these days. Rita got hers because of her age. I got mine because I'm a deaconette and I go to a, a nursing home here in Jeff City. But it looks like, you know, anyone that wants a vaccine after April 9th can sign up. And, and I, you know, my wife got her first one today because she's a teacher at our local parish school. And the teachers are all now lined up to get theirs. But not every teacher is uh, is getting the vaccine, so I don't know. Still have a little bit of convincing to do for some, I think. But. Yeah, I think uh, I read yesterday that I think only 60% of people that are eligible are choosing to get vaccinated. So that leaves a large contingent of people that are saying no. We've covered this before. You know, we had a prior podcast about vaccines, and so I encourage anyone out there to, to listen to that if they have a question about the vaccines on from the medical and the the moral perspective, feel free to take a look and listen to that on our website. But we encourage everyone to seriously consider getting vaccinated for the common good. The only way we're going to beat this thing is if we're all vaccinated and have immunity. Some folks have immunity because they had COVID, and I understand that. But if you don't, you might think seriously about, about getting vaccinated. There are variants out there um, of, the, of the illness, and so there's still a risk to, uh, to all of us, really from this thing. And, um, you know, we encourage people to seriously consider getting vaccinated, but uh, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to say, Rita? No, I don't think so. I think we've got it covered. Yeah. I think, no, I think it's going to be an interesting home stretch. I think it's going to be filled with a lot of discussion on the budget, I think as, and that's most every year, but I think this year, especially with, it seems like that it's a little bit slower of a process. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to get moving very quickly when they return next week. So I would expect that will take most of our time. For sure. And um, and as we always like to say, if you have anything you want to say or encourage us to do in this regard, feel, feel free to reach out to us either by email or by calling us. We're always open to taking your suggestions and your comments. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time on the Missouri Catholic Conference from the Capitol Podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of MCC from the Capitol. To hear more from the Missouri Catholic Conference, visit our website at mocatholic.org. That's mocatholic.org. Or subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. 